Welcome into another edition of New Track Record. Caleb Hatch and Justin Kinney back with you after a Thanksgiving break. Thanks for joining us. And Justin, before we get into all things IndyCar, we have a, a few things to get to. One, you're still here. So the, the threats that I allegedly made <laughs> last episode, you're still here. So I am still here. The, safe and sound. Yes, the push to get to oust me, to whack me, whatever you want to refer to. I've avoided them so far. Still here. Also, congrats. You've, you have a new addition to your family. Yes, we do. We welcomed Morrison Bailey last uh, week, November 19th, and stayed in the hospital f- a bit longer than we expected due to some issues, but now home and healthy. He's great. Mom's great and not getting any sleep. Yeah. That- so we're doing well. Yeah. So just like before. Yeah. So pretty much. And yesterday he was fussy all day, finally fell asleep at like seven thirty last night, held him. And I didn't move for like two and a half hours, which is great because I was just watching college basketball. But uh, is at that point where my my entire schedule, my entire uh, clock, body clock revolves around a one and a half week old. So I I didn't ask you off the air. I'm going to put it to you now. Yes. Morrison. Is that like a family name? Uh, the family name is Morris okay. on my wife's side, so we d- debated and went back. Uh, she liked Morrison, I like Morris, so I went with Morrison, and then Bailey's a family name too. Plus, plus Bailey's Irish cream is just very tasty. So <laughs> there you out. go. Yeah. So Mo Morris Morrison Morris and Morrison is the ones that I'm allowed to call him. Is for my okay. wife has told him uh, no Mo no Mo no Mari. I guess would be one. I can't do that either. It's Morris or Morrison. I'm told. Okay. I I was curious about that as far as nicknames go. All right. Let's get into IndyCar talk. We've been off for a couple of weeks and it was relatively quiet up until, well, yesterday as we record this on Thursday, December 1st. Hard to believe we're in the last month of 2022, but uh, a few things to get to. Marketing, money, and McLaren. The three M's. The the three kind of headline topics for this week's episode we start on the marketing side, and this came down yesterday. Adam Stern, uh, Marshall Pruitt, both reporting this, but IndyCar parting ways with marketing chief SJ Lutke. Um, that was amid increasing calls from the series paddock to shake up its marketing efforts. That from Stern, last full day, December 9th, she will consult part-time until the end of January. And, and look, this comes after quite a bit regards to the marketing and the lack of marketing with the series, especially this offseason. I feel like it's been a main talking point. I would agree, and it's good that the series is receptive to what the paddock is saying and what fans are saying is to make a move. Now, was Lebke giving given the budget in which to operate and, and do some things that the series needs to do? We don't know, but... The marketing was so, so lackluster, and it was very much a approach that felt like an old person trying to know what young people like or something like that, and, and, and that's the issue, and not, not uh, targeting the demographics that you need to, and really not being visible whatsoever. And now the new person or new people is, are they going to be given the budget to able to, to be able to do some things? Hopefully, but change was needed. It's just hope it's not change for, for change sake at this point. So uh, a move forward, hopefully. And everybody said that, okay, this, this person comes from Nike. She must be really good. Nike isn't hard to market. In 2022, or last time she was there was what 2019. You just smack the the swoosh somewhere, and you're fine. It it is not. It is really very much a institution already that I don't think you need to do too much to fuel Nike. Whereas IndyCar is very much a brand that's largely absent from mainstream um, abilities to 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 target the mainstream. And you need to be have somebody that's able to do that. I don't think her people were saying, oh, she was a Nike. She must be great. I don't think that's the case going from Nike to IndyCar to a visible entity around the world with just a symbol to IndyCar. I think that's a considerable uh, leap 
and you have to think outside the box and have a lot more ideas than you would at Nike, for instance. Well, for example, Nike is cool. It's essentially <laughs> yes. always been cool. Yes. It's well known. You can you have almost unlimited budget to do marketing campaigns and branding, yeah. all those things out there. That's not the issue. Whereas IndyCar is not seen as cool because F1 is cool. Right. Uh, right now, F1's kind of the new the hot item, if you will, in motorsports. I see it as a fad. I see that fad going away by the end of next season, to be honest with you, at least in the United States. Um that this doesn't it will not last unless F1 evolves and grows. And I feel like they're already kind of doing things that are ticking off the fan base that was there before. So those are always the things you battle with. But Nike's cool. IndyCar's not. Nike has unlimited budget to market their product. IndyCar, does as not. far as we know, does <laughs> not. And so those, those are the question marks. Like you, you brought up a great point. How much of a budget was she given? We don't know. Now, she also was part of the old regime, and I'm talking the, the Holman Motorsports regime, if you will, uh, because she was hired February 5th, 2019 uh, with her role. So now she worked with Nike um, before that, starting in 2010, senior brand director of football. Look, football is easy to market. I get that football has been a growing sport for 20 plus years, the NFL really took off in popularity, what, 15 years ago, I feel like was kind of a, a key moment. It's really separated itself from the rest of the major sports, that's for sure. Yeah, right right around that time, it, the separation was really happening. That was, as the NBA was off Michael Jordan, he had retired, and then he came back briefly, but there was kind of a, a five, six, seven year gap in between here in the US. But now, selling a product that is not viewed as cool, I think is the hardest thing. And so you're going to have to get someone who can think outside the box and look, they've tried stuff. It's not that they haven't tried Defy everything never really went anywhere and just kind of disappeared. Um, this indie next idea, AKA indie lights. Is that the final straw for her? I, I don't know. <laughs> who knows? I, we don't know if she was part of that project or not. Making the- something un something cool. That's uncool is different than keeping the status quo of cool if that makes sense so at nike it was already established she didn't have to do anything right and there let's be honest some of the the advertising strategies for nike some of the commercials are dumb but you slap a swoosh on it and it's cool right but if you're indycar and you try something that's dumb it's going to be dumb because you can't slap an indycar logo on it and all of a sudden be cool like nike so you have to be better at your craft to be able to take something that's not in the mainstream, that's not accepted as something cool, and make it something cool. And she wasn't capable of doing that. Whether she had the budget to do it or not, I think even if you're handed a minuscule budget, you can make attempts to make something uh, cool that that isn't. And I didn't see that with IndyCar under her leadership. So we'll see where they turn moving forward. Obviously, she's going to stay on as a consultant for a little bit of time. I would hope they have someone in mind because the hiring process for a position like this, if they don't is not, Oh, you know, you, you post it and then you fill the job within a month or two. Like this could be an extensive process that you hope if they don't have someone in mind already, you can get it filled before St. Pete. Do you go with that one person? Do you go with a marketing firm of some sort? I think we'll have to see does, does Penske entertainment already have somebody in mind? We'll have to find out. Boston Consulting Group. <laughs> <laughs> Give them another shot. Why not? Uh, to, to fans who just came into IndyCar the last couple of years. Look that up. Look that up uh, because that brought a lot of jokes as far as the schedule and everything. And look, they tried some of the things. Some worked, some didn't, but it was a long some running joke. Some of the joke. ideas were absurd, yeah. Yes, among IndyCar fans. So new marketing, what will it mean we're obviously still kind of trying to wrap our head around it. And I saw something that, you know, in, in one of the articles, basically she had lost the paddock, if you will. And if you lose the confidence of what you're trying to sell of the people and the company, then it's game over. It's kind of like a coach. If you lose the team, it's over. Yes. Allison Melanchthon is VP of Penske entertainment. She was paramount to Indianapolis getting the super bowl back in, what, 2012? 
Uh, she was a part of that Super Bowl host committee uh, that landed the Super Bowl and, and put together an outstanding event for Indianapolis. She's been with Penske Entertainment for several years. She will assume Lukey's responsibilities on an interim basis. Nationwide search underway for a replacement. Lukey, a consultant through the end of January. So what? We're talking not quite four years in the role, and it's a tough business, right? If you're not given the tools to succeed, you're not going to get results. On the other hand, this is a product you need to grow, and we've seen growth incrementally over the years, but it's never really took off like we've seen on the F1 side, for example, or even NASCAR as they've bounced back after a couple of down years and, and seemed to kind of find their niche here the last few years with those unique events that they've been running and, and announcing moving forward. Change is good as long as it's changed for the better. And we'll see if IndyCar gives the next person or next people the ability, the tools in which to succeed. And and maybe the person in the, in the spot previous was able to, was given that and just, she just didn't execute it. So that would be the question for me is, was she set up to fail or was she adequately, finance to be able to make a difference and simply didn't so i hope it's a change for the good but if the money's not behind it the marketing budget isn't there i don't see much changing and marshall pruitt uh racer.com notes something that is important Ludkey, like all of indycar's executive leadership at the time was retained when the holman george family sold the series in the indianapolis motor speedway to roger pinsky and pinsky entertainment at the onset of 2020. So that's something to keep in mind. There were no changes, right? They kept everyone right. on board if that wanted to stay. Now, obviously you could leave with a, a change in ownership. That would be up to individuals own decisions to make, but everyone stayed on board, at least as far as the leadership goes. So that is something to think about that. Maybe that is a factor here as well. A lot of things we don't know behind the scenes, but uh, this move largely expected particularly with all the negativity that we've heard since the end of the season it's really been a a one complaint after another in, in a lot of ways in the off season and it's something that Penske Entertainment needs to get under control and head things in the right direction in terms of marketing in terms of visibility in terms of putting eyes on product in terms of actual difference-making marketing campaigns, and those have been absent for a fair amount of time in IndyCar. Meanwhile, something that came to light over the last several days for IndyCar and the series, we announced the concert lineup, I think our, our previous episode for High V. Solid lineup. Huge lineup. Carrie Underwood. You gotta pay for it somehow. Ed Sheeran, Kenny Chesney, Zach Brown Band. I mean, that's four A-list level acts whether we're talking country or pop and some of them, and some of them have, you know, crossover, you know, between the two. So right. you're not going to get a, a bigger lineup with four a list acts. I mean, this is bigger than what they had last, uh, th- this year for the, the first high V IndyCar weekend for sure. I don't think there's any doubt. We talked about that, but what we didn't think about cost. what that would do to ticket prices and cost. So several articles on this. And uh, the first one I saw, from uh, weareiowa.com and that is the one I sent you TV station and then uh, racer.com also had a a follow up local five so it's out of Des Moines uh, covering uh, the news in Iowa but ticket prices have jumped they interviewed fans and it's not that ticket prices you know went up you know five ten fifteen twenty dollars it's that they more than doubled for a lot of people an example they cite in this, tickets in the upper rows of the grandstand at turn one jump from an initial selling price of $85 last year to $200 this year. The top row is what they're saying. Upper yeah, row? Upper rows. Upper rows, turn one. $200. So, okay, I mean, so those are prime it, seats. Prime seats, but again, that's more than double. And for this one fan And you get the both, article, that's the whole weekend. That is for one day, I think. Yeah, single day. Gross. Yes. So the they weekend. also dropped the, the 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 special rates for kids, for example. Um, the, the acts look. You're you're not going to get better acts, really. But the problem is, 
a lot of people could feel like, and people are saying this in the mailbag this week, this event has shifted from being an IndyCar weekend with a doubleheader that happens to feature good concerts to it's a concert weekend and there just so happens to be a couple IndyCar races going on. And I don't really have a problem with which, uh, whatever philosophy there is as long as there's people going. And if you price people out of the opportunity to go, then it hurts. It's, it's, it's Iowa in July. It's brutal. And you're asking people to spend this money. It's not Vegas. It's not Miami. It's not Long Beach. It's Iowa in July. And, and that's absolutely brutal. And if, if was this all planned? Was it, okay, we're going to get people year one, they're going to fall in love with it, and then we're going to absolutely price gouge them the year two and beyond? I don't know. But this is not a business model that's going to succeed long-term if you're pricing out your, your fans that want to go and watch this race, unless it's a fact that they're going to approach it as it's a music concert first. And if that's the philosophy, if that's the approach, I don't have a problem with it as long as it's a successful event for IndyCar, but I find it hard to believe that you'll see as many butts in the seats this July with those prices. Will they just go for the concerts and then leave? And leave. Or hide under the grandstands if it's brutally hot, or even like hang out in the, the camping area, wherever, right. or and not, not watch the race. Go back to your RV or whatever, whatever you're doing and wait for the next concert, right? That's the question. In fact, uh, the fan cited in the article, Kevin Oliver, uh, priced everything, says it's cheaper for him to go the season opener in St. Pete for 2023, including airfare, lodging, and tickets, than to just buy tickets for Iowa, based on what he did last year. If it was a sexy locale of some sort, then you could buy into it. It's Iowa in July, and you want, they want you to spend $200 a day on tickets? No thanks. Yeah. And as far as tickets go, so the renewal period has ended. That ended November 30th. Tickets go on sale this coming Monday, December 5th. And it will be interesting to see the reaction on social media to what people have to say about the ticket prices. For example, you look at where things are. $225 most expensive ticket. The cheapest I see on here uh, is $100. And that's in the lower rows. And that's per day. Yes, that's the way I understand it. So that's a real problem where people in in Marshall Pruitt cite some other fan examples where some fans had, you know, a a price of $250 for four tickets for both race days for this year's event and for next year. Their renewal was just shy of $800. Man. I, I mean, that's not a way to... To make it work and look, you could go for $800, you could drive and travel to multiple IndyCar races. <laughs> right. You could probably go to three different events if you if you time it right, price it right. Um, I don't know whether it's maybe it's Hy-Vee pulling back its uh, commitment financially to this event in year two. I could see them going all out in year one and be like, okay, now that we've established it, we're going to pull back our our support a little bit financially and make that back up in ticket sales. I don't know, but it's, it's not a good approach just in year two. You're already pricing people out. It was a successful event last year. I would love to see as success successful of event as it was, did it lose money? And then maybe they're having to jack up prices because the event finished in the red. Who knows? But at this point, you're going to have a lot of people that aren't going to go to that race because of the cost. Flex tickets that were $50 last year have doubled to $100 per day in 2023. They also, uh, kids are no longer free. So that makes it hard for families to attend with their kids. I mean, these are big things. And look, the crowd looked great, especially what day was it? Sunday was a little bit cooler. Right. Um, Saturday, maybe not so much. I think there were a lot of people under the grandstands Correct. waiting for the concert, to be honest. So this is a situation where, look, if you're a fan of those musical acts and a fan of IndyCar, do you make that work? Perhaps. How but, many crossover fans do you have, though? How many big music fans are also big IndyCar fans? I don't know. I have no idea. I mean, clearly they have some data, I'm sure. True. But 
if you're a fan of the artists and and just want to show up for the post race concert or the pre race concert, that's what people will do. And we shall see. But this seems to be a big bet on the event as far as what it means for IndyCar. Now, on the music side, you would think those tickets will sell. But as far as on the IndyCar side, how many IndyCar fans are going to participate in this? That is the question mark. And maybe the approach is they don't care as long as people are buying tickets. They don't care if they're race fans. They don't care if they're music fans as long as they're buying tickets. That we shall see play out here in the coming weeks. So money, marketing, what's the last M? McLaren. Hey, because, hey. Well, there's always something to talk about with McLaren and news coming out this morning. In fact, as we record a bit early here on a Thursday, Alex Blow been named an F1 reserve driver for McLaren uh, to provide support for the team alongside his driving duties and IndyCar being available as a reserve driver for the team for all events that do not conflict with IndyCar. I don't think this is a huge shock. Uh, no surprise here. Now, the other thing is he'll be with McLaren on the IndyCar side in 2024. That's also not a shock. They they haven't announced that, but we all know that's coming, right? That's that's a part of it. Um, a good deal. You have to think if you're Colton Herta or Pato Award that Pelot gets this over them, you have to be a bit uh, frustrated. A little frustrated, particularly with, um, you look at Alex Pelot and his abilities and winning championships and, and and now being rewarded by McLaren in a lot of ways. You think Pato Award is like, hey, I'm I'm here at McLaren. Why why am I not getting such something like this? So um it's it's a it's a great thing for for Alex Pillow. Expected. Does it mean much? I always think the reserve driver moniker, the title is always just kind of like a ceremonial type thing, but definitely puts him in in the running you never know what's going to happen on a formula one weekend we've seen reserve drivers that have been on site that have had to jump in whether an fp1 or fp2 or something so the more he is around the the paddock formula one the more opportunities he will have and it is definitely another step towards maybe being in a mclaren seat at some point in the next couple years and he had a, a really solid debut in fp1 at the usgp back in Beat logan Sargent. yeah and he's got an F1 ride for next year. That's true. Uh, that also was announced during our, our break. Not that that was a, a surprise either. But as far as below getting this opportunity, no surprise. I just wonder what this really means for him as far as IndyCar versus F1. I, I would still think his future is in IndyCar, but he does want to be based out of Europe. And, and what right. does that really mean? Well, it's a, it's a step for we know what Polo wants to he's striving for, right? Is is Formula 1 and going to McLaren is a step towards that. And he he can say everything he wants about competing in IndyCar, but the move to McLaren is strictly getting closer to Formula 1 and the reserve driver moniker is is evidence of that, definitely. Jennifer Fryer, the AP, so actually this is being officially reported. She says Blow will officially move to McLaren at the end of the upcoming IndyCar season and drive for either Aaron McLaren SP and IndyCar or move completely into an F1 role. Ah. Hmm. So that really changes things quite a bit. And you you have to wonder. I mean, look, they have Lando Norris and they just signed Oscar Piastri. So you have some young guys. Where is the movement going to well, come? Well, I mean, is Oscar, depending on his performance, a one-and-done type guy if... He doesn't produce the results. Is he a stopgap to Alex Pillow for a year? I don't think Lando Norris is going anywhere, but you never know in Formula One. No. All it no. takes is one subpar year to lose your seat. And we saw that with Daniel Ricciardo this past season. Absolutely. So that is a curious move and interesting wording on what he can be as far as in F1 potentially in the future. I will be very interested to see how having that kind of carrot dangled in front of him <laughs> on the F1 side, yeah, how he performs on the IndyCar side this year, knowing that everyone is fully expecting him, and, and according to that report, that he's gone from Chip Ganassi Racing after 2023. Which we knew was going to happen, and that he's going to be gone anyway from Chip Ganassi Racing. So, 
I feel like um, the the focus for for Alex Pillow is being perform is being able to perform as high, high level as possible in IndyCar to then give him more momentum to head into Formula One. Another championship would be huge, and Indianapolis 500 would be huge. And just trying to continue to fuel that momentum for Zach Brown to consider him for a Formula One seat in 2024. So you look at the schedules, and I just kind of want to do a quick run through of conflicts, what's available, what's not. Um, This is, I think, what will make it interesting. So preseason testing, February 23rd, 24th, 25th. He'd be free for that. March 5th, so there's your first conflict. IndyCar in St. Pete, F1 in Bahrain. Then he'd be able to participate in Saudi Arabia. Then you go all the way April 2nd, IndyCar at Texas, F1 at Australia. April 16th, F1 in China, IndyCar Long Beach. Uh, April 30th, F1 Azerbaijan, IndyCar at Barber. A lot of conflicts here early, basically, to, to point out. Uh, he would be able to do the race weekend at Miami, that wouldn't be a problem. May 7th, the Emilia Romagna Grand Prix at Imola, that'll be a conflict because that's qualifying for the Indy 500. Obviously, you can't do Monaco same day as the Indy 500. June 4th, F1's in Spain, Indy cars in Detroit. Uh, June 18th, they're in Canada, Indy cars at Road America. That's a short jaunt. July 2nd, F1 in Austria, Indy car. At Mid Ohio, so he'll basically be at less than half of the Formula One races. Yeah, then uh, he'd at. be able to do United Kingdom July 9th, Hungary July twenty third. That's IndyCar Iowa uh, that weekend. Then you get down. Obviously, he could do July thirtieth at Belgium. That's an off weekend. But then you have Nashville and IndyCar the following week, and then F one has their their break. They only have one race in August. That's the Netherlands. Uh, and that is at Zandvoort, August 27th. And IndyCars at Worldwide Technology Raceway, a.k.a. Gateway, that weekend. Moving on, Italy, September 3rd in F1. September 3rd in IndyCars, Portland. Then September 10th for IndyCar season finale at Laguna Seca. And F1 is not racing that weekend. So the final, let's see, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight races. He'd be fully available after that. But... In season, it's very hit or miss. Busy, busy racing calendar for Alex Pillow. He'll be touring the world next year in a lot of ways. So we'll see how this plays out. I would be shocked if he would be the F1 driver for 2024. But after a really solid performance and solid test, it seems that he could you know, go a little bit further than you think. Here's a question for you. Do we ever see, and we're talking about Colton Herta, Alex Pillow, and Pato Award, multiple, or multiple of those guys being in Formula One at any one time at the same time? No. No, no it's, it's too so? hard. It's too hard. F1 doesn't want you know American-based guys unless they were one of their guys before. And... I guess you could maybe say that about Pato Award because he had that, he was with an IndyCar and then he had the Red Bull deal and then that fell apart and then came back and McLaren's latched onto him. I, I just, I don't see it unless Andretti gets an F1 team. Then I think that changes the conversation. I would agree at this point. And, and it's unfortunate, right? Because they're sure. a talented driver. I mean, those three guys are perhaps the three most talented 25 or, or younger guys in IndyCar. Pelot at 25 is the oldest of the bunch. I have a hard time looking at either of those guys, any of those three guys, and say they're worse drivers than Mick Schumacher, for example. Yeah. Now, we know why Mick Schumacher is, was in, in Formula One to begin with is because of his dad. But also, I mean, Logan Sargent, look, he, he battled. Is he going to have success with Williams? No, because they're the worst team on, on the grid. And, and you it, can be competent... If one of those teams, you have to maximize your limited opportunities and don't wreck cars is basically what they're expecting you to do, right? And I think yeah. that any of those three aforementioned IndyCar drivers would be able to do that. So we'll see what comes of that partnership. Again, 
and and of course I read motorsport and they they detail it out as far as the clashes. Twelve occasions the series will clash. F one calendar a bit longer though, and that's that's the difference where he's going to be able to participate uh, with some of these tests uh, to end the season, the final handful of races for Formula One. Fifth this year, champion obviously. Previous season in IndyCar, he's off to a fast start. But again, I just would be surprised that McLaren would move on from Oscar Piastri in just one year. Who knows? Uh, he could be really good. He could be really bad. We'll see. But crazier thing. Look, the driver market in both IndyCar and Formula One can be chaotic, especially Formula One. So a year can, there a lot can happen in a year. That's for sure. All right. So that's our three headline stories. Another story I wanted to get to before we get on to the mailbag and everything else in line, uh, other notes for the series. We didn't get to Jack Harvey is now not going to be sponsored by Hy-Vee. Christian Lungard will move over to that car for 2023. I don't think this is a big surprise. No, not a big surprise at all. And probably something that we even talked about and expected is Hy-Vee is investing a lot of money into this series. They want results on track. Jack Harvey's not giving it to him. So Lungard will switch uh, to the 45 car that Jack Harvey was in. It'll be the Hy-Vee car. I think we thought that should have been the move to begin with. Right. But, yeah, I would agree. Uh, contracts are what they are. Jack Harvey will be into the number 30 sponsorship TBA with this. Uh, the crews they worked with will swap entries as well. So it's really just a uh, changing numbers but everything is essentially the same interesting um, move I, yeah not a surprise though. no i makes complete sense because high v you need to keep them invested in the series and in the team and if they're not getting results on track they're going to lose interest i think there was discussion about this even last season and we talked about it is high v cannot be happy with jack harvey being ineffective and their hope is christian lungard can be a little bit uh, more consistent towards the top of the grid and get that high V car more in the picture, so to speak, on TV. High V will be present on Harvey's car as an associate sponsor, so something to keep in mind. But they they were smart in their branding. It was the forty five car for everything. It was not necessarily Jack Harvey everywhere. Ah, there you go. Now See? the ads did say Jack Harvey and the forty five Har- high V car. Okay. On TV that they ran during the season. So that's just something to keep in mind. And then in supermarkets, it was always the 45 high V car. I don't know if it's necessarily Jack Harvey. Yeah. I didn't know know how many cardboard cutouts of Jack Harvey were around. There were some, but as far as the the little die cast cars, it was the 45 high V car and they were specific in their branding there. And look, it makes sense to latch on to Christian Lungard, who was on the cusp of winning a race at the end of last season. So definitely a really uh, a solid job. rookie campaign. Not that we were surprised just due to the talent that he had. All right. The other note I wanted to get to has to do with scheduling. Uh-huh. 20 IndyCar races per year would be the sweet spot. That, according to Jay Fry in an article with David Malsher Lopez, motorsport.com. The Argentina demonstration, quote, Wildly exceeded expectations, end quote. That's Jay Fry on that. Look, if the money's there for that event, this should happen. And this should happen for 2024. I would add it in 2023 at this point. Yeah, at the end of the season, if if there's a way to make it work. You got to remember that. So you'd be different weather-wise, right? So down there, wouldn't it be warming up come October? I think, is that how the... The, uh, I would say the hemispheres work, but what is that? The upper and lower. Yeah, southern hemisphere. That, the winter yeah. is opposite. Correct. Right? Should be. It makes sense to me. So I would make this a points race. No me, No need to make it an exhibition race. Go to, go to Argentina ASAP. You never know with expansion of Formula One. I would imagine Argentina is trying to get a Formula One race. Now, are they in position to get one? Who knows? But... If you want to strike and strike at a place the year that other series are not, you jump on it as soon as possible. So again, they they want to add three events, but he said you don't just add three to add three. Three that are great events, an obvious one, Mexico, and David Malsher Lopez saying increasing calls for the series to venture into Mexico once more. And Fry saying we're looking at lots of different things now. There's often inquiries about Mexico. Obviously, we go to Canada. You know, we want to remain as much of a North American series as we can, but the world is getting smaller too, right? Uh, so those are things to look at. Not that there's anything concrete from this, but it is interesting. And 
the positive words on Argentina, obviously something to keep in mind as well. I would hope this happens sooner rather than later, as well as Mexico. I would I would add both, to be honest, for 2024. And soon, soon enough, Pato Award is going to be gone, potentially. Yeah, that's that's the ultimate question mark. And some drivers with comments on this, too. Uh, Pato replying to the article saying, get rid of double race weekends, add Mexico, Brazil, Argentina, and race in Europe. And Santina Ferrucci says, while we're at it, can we get Richmond back on the calendar, too? Well, Richmond would have to want to play ball, and that means NASCAR would have to be wanting to play ball and would love to get Richmond on the schedule. And it was on there, then it was off due to COVID. So 20 is, is I, I think, an attainable number. I would say drop, of course, that second road course race, which you're at 16, which means four new events. Yes. Which and, I would like to see. And then whether it's Argentina, a Mexico race, another Canadian race, Australia or Europe. I mean, those are the gaps you want to fill, right? I don't see us going to Europe or Australia at this point. I think it's very much going to be an America's series. They want to say North America, which is fine, but I think Argentina makes just too much sense to not go there. And for, for the series, I think getting to 20 would be sensational. If you get to Argentina, Mexico, let's say a Richmond and then uh, a thermal, I guess would be, the last one, at least in terms of right now, realistic yeah. events. There, there's nothing brewing that we know of as far as in Canada. Right. Mexico, they've had discussions. Remember, they almost added a race in Mexico City in, what was it, like 2016 or something? Yeah, it was one of the many discussions on if that was going to happen. But in terms of what we know right now, what's being discussed is what makes the most sense right now in the short term are those four. And we know thanks to Marshall Pruitt, that the test at Thermal is basically a trial run to see if that could be a hosting site in the future as soon as 2024, 2025. All right, that wraps up our kind of our our big things for the week. We still have some other things to get to, though, on news and notes of interest. If you agree or disagree with us, we'd love for you to interact with us. You can find us online, newtrackrecordpodcast.com. While you're there, check out the store. We have t-shirts and stickers for sale. Great gifts for the IndyCar and specifically New Track Record podcast fans in your life. You can check out the store there. Also, subscribe to the email list. It is free. You never miss episodes. Uh, You never miss any special announcements we make as well. So sign up for the email list for free on there. You can find us on social media. Our Twitter handle is IndyCar Podcast. On Facebook, just search for New Track Record. IndyCar podcast on Instagram as well. Our email address, newtrackrecordpodcast at gmail.com. You can also support us via Patreon, patreon.com slash newtrackrecord. Thanks to Xavier, Rob, and others. Supporter tiers uh, for as little as $1 per month uh, to help us out. We appreciate that. And you can always find us for free on your favorite podcasting platform, whether that is Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Overcast, CastBox, Google Podcasts, Amazon Music, Uh, If you follow us on Apple, do us a favor. Give us a five-star rating if you're nice. And if you're really nice, write a review. Also do the same on Spotify. I guess you have the opportunity to uh, rate us there as well. Thanks to everyone who's done so, so far. And as always, you can listen for free on your favorite podcasting platform. Okay. Mailbag time, Justin. Yo. And we talked about this previous episode. Uh, This is going back a bit, but Bruce Martin, his article in Forbes on... Dryan Reinbold going after the NASCAR guys. Jimmy Johnson, Kyle Busch, Kyle Larson on his way 67 says the definition of go big or go home. And look, they got the money locked up from Stefan Wilson in the Cusick Motorsports entry. So they have the opportunity to do that now. They can chase those guys, as we mentioned last episode, but are those guys inter- interested in running for Dryer and Reinbold or do they want to run for a higher profile team? And that would be the question. And whether that's a two-way street, that's what that uh, real mindset kind of determines. Elsewhere on the mailbag, this from Autosport Lab. So we are curious, you know, what what were the three trips outside the U.S. for the Borg Warner? We obviously got Japan. We got Marcus Erickson in Sweden. Uh, they say 2017 Japan with Sato, 2018 Goodwood, and 2019 to Paris with Passion. So there you go. Which I do now that that's mentioned, re- remember that. So it's very amazing that it's never went to Brazil. 
this from Beans. Yes, right? That's very yeah. surprising. Beans B card blog on Twitter. Um, this in, saying, I don't think trading cards are a missing link of any sort. Just an example of how they don't market. Seen people that never cared about F1 all of a sudden watching and talking about because they got into cards. We just came out of a card boom and still nothing. Yeah, the trading card boom really took place in 2020. Yeah, during, during the COVID. pandemic, everyone yeah. discovered their, their collection again and looked through it and found, hey, let's get back into this. And so it's been pretty popular ever since. Maybe the new marketing person that IndyCar is looking to hire will have some ideas like that. Uh, this from KSTAN5001. Is there really a marketing department? Uh, well, not this right was now. At, it's yeah. an interim marketing yes, department. True. This was after the <laughs> the Eagles of the NFL, the Philadelphia Eagles, had an awesome tweet because uh, they were going to play the Colts. Yes, in Indy, and, and was, that was really good stuff. They put together. It was uh, like the cockpit of an Indy car, and they were driving. It's it's the coolest marketing I've seen in quite some time for Indy car. It wasn't even done by Indy car. It was an NFL team. Correct. This from Bauer Racing. Uh, as far as the the fake threats from last episode. They were fake because he's still here. Hashtag who killed Justin. Hashtag justice for Justin. Hashtag bloody glove. <laughs> uh, thank you. Yes. The gloves are still sitting here, folks. They are still yes, sitting here. I'm, I'm actually looking at them right now. Uh, yeah. And and probably ideas swirling through your head on how he can commit the perfect crime. He's putting one of them on right now. It doesn't fit, ladies and gentlemen. Yeah, the glove does not fit. So <laughs> you must quit, folks. <laughs> Oh, man. Oh, man. We could go down a rabbit hole there. <laughs> uh, this from Poet Shevchenko. IndyCar's strategy seems to be The Office is a popular show, so let's copy how Dunder Mifflin advertises itself at the job fair. Yeah. Oh, man. The jokes, they just keep on coming. And also, uh, finishing up this week's podcast, talking about last week, and the Driven sequel should be called Driven to Survive. And we'll get the dual fan bases of the people who are clamoring for a Driven sequel. The people who think they are about to watch Drive to Survive, which have no overlap. <laughs> oh, goodness. The streaming series. It's still coming, I'm sure. We'll get, we're due for an update, right? I would hope. End of this year, maybe early next year. That it's still being worked on. We shall see. But it seems to be one of those things that we're never going to hear the end of. Nope. And then when it comes, it'll be underwhelming. I can guarantee you. That's just how it works, right? People uh-huh. will be disappointed regardless. Thanks to several of you who said us ha- happy Thanksgiving wishes. Thank you. Um, most thankful for, uh, you posted this uh, in regards to IndyCar. Daniel SEM 2004 said the series is still running and putting on great races. Paul Shevchenko said the IndyCar thing I'm most thankful for is the fans old and new because without them, none of this would be possible. There's not a lot of them, but there are some, and we appreciate every single one of them. Absolutely. So that wraps up the mailbag. As always, you can tweet us, send us a direct message on what have you. Also, I say email, carrier pigeon. Sure. We we accept it all. Anyway, you would You could just show up to us. our doors and just say you appreciate us. Be a little creepy, but we're receptive. And a, a note, uh, actually I got one more. Laser Disco said, uh, as far as who should run any car marketing? I vote for whoever runs ChampWeb.net. He does put up a lot of uh, videos and such. That's for sure. He's uh, more active than yeah than marketing of. I, I will say this: we're blocked from ChampWeb.net on the podcast platform. We are. What'd you do? I don't know. So <laughs> huh. I'll just throw that out there. Anyone listening? I'm not sure what we did, but who knows? Clearly, did I'm something. sure it's something. Something we said. So sensitive. As always. So thanks for your entries on the mailbag. Time for news and notes. A few things to get to here. Tatiana Calderon. uh, Working on her next move for 2023. IndyCar seems unlikely at this point. Obviously, depending on sponsorship. That from Motorsport.com. Not a big surprise there. It's just unfortunate she couldn't even finish out the season. It was very much a Rocket-led effort, I think, to get Tatiana Calderon in a seat. And with Rocket not being able to pay its bills, pay its sponsorship obligations, that went away, which means Calderon's opportunity went away. So she had a difficult stretch in IndyCar, inexperience with Foyt, all of the above. But um, unfortunately, she's not going to get another chance in 2023. 
but hopefully we see her in other disciplines. Yes. Yeah. Hopefully she gets something brewing for 2023. That will be an interesting thing to follow here in the off season. Some other notes, Elio Castroneves could be in line for a Daytona 500 right now. We talked about this after he had his success in, in what SRX, right? Yes. And so he, he did what he had to do for that. And now Adam Stern reporting that Elio getting closer to a deal to race in the 2023 Daytona 500 plus several SRX races that's per Hawk SMI uh, teams interested TMT racing. That's uh Floyd Mayweather's team. Correct. Yeah, uh-huh. And then track house of course track house would be interested And could track house be that team. Could there be a partnership with track house and a current IndyCar team in this year's Indy 500? Hmm. That's, I'm just saying that I'm throwing that out there. And track house has said, said they're, they want to delve into other racing series at some point And, Trackhouse is is to me one of the more exciting prospects uh, that's come around around in North American racing in terms of how they approach things, and I think it makes a whole hell of a lot of sense. Just something to uh, have your radar on because that could be one of those partner teams, and then they go into their own entry, say in twenty twenty four for the Indy five hundred. Yes, if they're ready, I like it. See, Caleb has laid out the blueprint. I, I don't know if they will be ready, but we shall see. All right, other notes to get to. A couple of schedule items. Tickets on sale for the Grand Prix of Portland. Also on sale for Long Beach. I bet they're cheaper than Iowa. Yeah, I bet they're a lot cheaper <laughs> than Iowa. I don't think that's that's a question mark. So tickets on sale, we're seeing that. And then Iowa tickets on sale, as I mentioned, Monday, December 5th. So a- another thing to keep an eye on here moving forward as far as tickets go. Uh, I'm going to be honest. I don't have a clue what any of this means, but IndyCar is going to introduce a new attenuator in 2023. That's exciting. I just know it's the thing that blinks. Yes. At least the lights at the end of the attenuator. That's for Marshall Pruitt of racer.com. If you're a gearhead, that story me makes a lot of sense, but it didn't to us. And then another thing. So they've had a supply chain issue for parts, for the, the hybrid aspect of the 2024 engine. Uh, that has improved, according to David Malsher, Lopez, motorsport.com. It was pushed back. Again, it's supposed to be next year, but again, they pushed it back due to supply chain issues, but things are going better. We know they've had some tests of the unit. Uh, Jay Fry saying it'll be lighter than most. They'll have more horsepower than most safer than most. As far as the unit that they have taking a a while to get it together, but it looks like things uh, will be announced in the first quarter of next year because they'll have to start a lot of testing. Do we think we see a car on track over the course of the month of May at Indy? Yes. And you mean like for a test yes. demonstration? Yeah, yep. I think so. Now, it'll be private. I don't think it'll be a public test. But they already had a, a test with Honda back. This would have been correct in October with the, the system. So They did at Indy, right? Yes, on the road course. So the hybrid unit, again, will not rely solely on regenerating energy uh, I guess- under braking. They're confident the power boost can be deployed on big ovals as well. That is something... Uh, that is interesting to see. The series not yet committed to the WEC practice of running hybrid cars under electric power alone when on pit lane. Do we see a unveiling of the 2024 car in May? Maybe like, I, I'm sure we'll see it on, on track, but do we, do we see a unveiling car? It'll sit in the, in the, um, by, by the paddock and all that stuff in the plaza area. Uh, do you feel like we'll see something like that? Do they make it a big deal or no? I would hope, but that would also imply that it's ready by then. And because we're expecting different sure. body work too, or at least some semblance of different body work, nothing radical, but at least it'll have a different look. It'll, it'll have to be just because adding the hybrid unit changes Correct. where you would put the engine. I mean, it changes the, the specifications, right. if you will, as far as space and fitting the engine into the chassis. Correct. So that's something to keep in mind. And speaking of uh, chassis, so a Raynard IndyCar roller was sold at Bring a Trailer 
Those auctions, $39,000. Not just indie, any indie car roller, but it was the one from the movie Driven. Aha! Uh-huh. So the Nextel car that we saw from the movie Driven, it was uh, Driven, in reality, 2000 cart uh, season, Norberto, Fontana, Mimo, Gidley, Delapina Motorsports. Uh, it was repainted and then used for an appearance in the movie Driven. I think Stallone drove that one, if I'm not mistaken, in the movie. Exciting. But pretty cool. You added that to your collection is what you're telling me. No. Oh. I wish. <laughs> Roger Penske is going to be honored this month at the Autosport Awards. He'll receive the Autosport Gold Medal in London. So congrats to him for that honor. And also congrats to Rob Howden, who a uh, friend of the show. Uh, he was inducted into the SKUSA Hall of Fame. That's uh, Super Carts as far as Super Nats uh, 25. Um, he is now in the Hall of Fame. So congrats to Rob on that honor, which I know means a lot to him. Definitely. No guy out there or girl knows more about the junior formulas and carting than Rob Howden. All right. With that said, anything that we missed? I don't think so. I think we tried to make uh, a lot of positives out of not a lot of news and some negative storylines. But that's what we do here. Yes. Try to keep it positive. All right. Oh, actually, we did miss something. What? Marshall Pruitt had a silly season update that came out before Thanksgiving. There's not a whole lot in this, but Ganassi, again, still planning to find a driver or drivers for its fourth entry. We talked a lot about Nicholas Latifi, but apparently that is off the radar. Now Ryan hunter Ray, who's under contract, could be the oval driver, and then you'd have to have someone with a budget for the rest of it. And for example, he says the F2 drivers have about $2 million to offer. Obviously, that's not going to cover a full ride. Uh, they're looking from Dale Coyne Racing to Hukos Hollinger to Chip Ganassi Racing not a lot of progress on his last update, but another name to keep in mind, former Dale Coin Racing IndyCar driver, current Haas F1 test and reserve driver, Pietro Fittipaldi. Yes, related to the family. He's been looking for a way to return to IndyCar, but again, modest budget seems to be a factor for him. Nothing too shocking in there, but we'll see what happens with most of the seats taken up. And some heavy rumors on the open seats. I don't think we're in line right now to see anything shocking, but particularly now, do we, do we, Caleb, do you think any of these remaining seats are locked in by Christmas? I would be surprised. I would agree too. I think things like really, really kind of uh, die down in late November and through December before things gear up after the new year. Also, he notes Marcus Armstrong, Dale Coyne racing F2 driver, the Kiwi uh, said to be in the mix for the team, whether it's full-time or limited to road and street races, because, again, Sato could potentially uh, run just the ovals next year, so that's a possibility. Also, Augustine Canapino, the Argentinian driver. Marshall says he would not be shocked if Canapino uh, gets confirmed in that second entry next to Callum Eilat. It makes too much sense with the popularity of him and trying to get the Argentina race. Yes. And, and sponsors, for that matter. And then he did also say, and we talked about this previous episode, as far as Indy 500 and, and NASCAR drivers, uh, Marshall says, I'm happy to report I could be completely wrong as far as Kyle Busch, Kyle Larson, only driving for a quote-unquote championship-level Chevy team, the Indy 500. Uh, but both title winners among the options to drive the second Dry and Reinbold Racing entry. So that's another person on the record putting it out there that these are options. Also, Scott McLaughlin set to participate in the Rolex 24 at Daytona in the LMP2 class uh, with Joseph Newgarden in the same car. So that's a that's a cool move there as well. And again, they could be potential Enduro drivers for the Porsche program with Penske in 2024. Seems like a step in that direction. All right, and more news literally just coming in. Uh-oh, hot off the press. This is great. This is exciting. Jamie Chadwick uh, is on board with Andretti for the series formerly known as Indy Lights. And will always be known as Indy Lights here. Yes. Uh, next season with Andretti Autosport, 
DHL will be the primary sponsor. Oh, nice. Yeah, that's a pretty big deal. This is really exciting for the series. And look, she's a talented driver. She'll finally get a, I think, a fair shot in motorsports with this. I agree. What multi-time winner uh, in Formula that's a Formula W, is that what they call it? Something like that? W Series. W Series, there you go. So No longer RIP. Yeah, which they canceled the rest of the season, but she was the de facto, she was in first place, so she declared the champion. But yeah, for her to take a step forward in, in Indy Lights and have this opportunity, tremendous, and could see her in Indy Car by 2024, 2025. We'll see. Yeah, and look, the details literally just, coming out on this but i think this is very exciting she will be full-time the number 28 car go figure sponsored by dhl first woman in 13 years to compete full-time yeah in lights slash indie next good to see great to see dhl primary sponsor that that relationship apparently goes back to 2010 really with chadwick release yeah wow nice so they already have Hunter McElray in the 27, Lewis Foster in the 26. I'm guessing they will have uh, one other driver in lights. They usually run four cars for that program as well. But she's dominated the W Series. She was a reserve driver for Williams Racing, part of the Williams Racing Driver Academy um, for 2023. An uh, enhanced role to be announced, according to the release as well. So all things to keep an eye on, but man. This is good, and finally, I feel like we have a driver with some buzz for me to follow and root for in in lights. Yeah, it's been a minute, right? It's cool. Now we just hope and pray that Linus Lundquist can get an Indy car ride. Yeah, that'd be that'd be ideal. If you want to continue these people to filter them into Indy lights and the road to Indy, you better fix that ladder. Yes, and that is going to be, I think, the thing we'll keep our eye on here. In the coming months, if he can get at least just a few races in any yeah, get him in the 500 at least. All right. Now that that's done, man, it's it's good to have some news break as we record. Always um, nice. Time for our random split air driver of the week. All right. We were going to 2003 in car. We've talked about 2005 being a, uh, a, a great um, resource to tap into random split air drivers of the week but we're going to go 2003 and we're going with mika sallow yes former Remember? f1 guy yes right? he did uh, over 110 formula one races out of finland and had a couple podiums absolutely actually but actually raced in cart for at least a couple races and we're going to go back and look at 2003 and was let's take a look he was really busy in in 2003 and raced in four races in the 2003 season in cart and it was the year after he did was his final year in formula one i believe with toyota racing was his last year the year before 2003 it was late in the year and was kind of impressive was 14th at denver third at miami fifth at mexico city 11th at surfers paradise and i forgot this was random and weird that the fontana race that year was canceled due to the wildfires wildfires. yeah yep so those were his four races raced for pk racing which i was like an early uh iteration of kv racing yes so before the v so it's craig pollock i looked this up because i was curious uh he was the former Formula One team manager, um, but he formed PK Racing with Kevin Kalkoven, who obviously t- took over the series, what, in 2003? He's one of the, the main guys, but former F1 team manager. Uh, also, he's with the what was then the Pac West team yeah. at, at the time, but pretty cool. Uh, kind of, they've had uh, some pretty good drivers, obviously, with that team. Um, but that season, that was the first season for that team. Patrick Lemari, uh, I believe, is French. Lemari. Um, Brian Herta, Max Pappas, Mika Salo. And it was just one entry, and it was split amongst a bunch of drivers. Then in 2004, 
that's when Jimmy Vassar joined. It was PKV Racing. They had Jimmy Vassar and Roberto Gonzalez as their two drivers in 2004. Vassar with the team uh, for several years. Was not with them in 2007, and then 2008 he did the the Long Beach race. Uh, but they had they had a good team when they came over after the split. Servia and Power, 2008 season. Yeah, and uh, Salo pretty solid in his four starts. Then did a lot of Le- American Le Mans uh, races and stuff after the fact. And an interesting thing that I found in 2013, he was featured in Disney Channel's program called Driven to Extremes with Tom Hardy and Adrian Brody. He appeared in two episodes, one with Tom Hardy in minus 50 degrees Celsius weather in Russia, and the other one with Adrian Brody in the Malaysian jungle at the height of the monsoon season. So a guy that didn't shy away from extremes, both on the track and off the track, he won the GT2 class in Le Mans at the 24 Hours of Le Mans in 2008 and 2009, and his best ranking in Formula One in the World Championship 1999 when he stood in for the injured Michael Schumacher at Ferrari for six races. But four races with PK Racing. This week's Random Split Error Driver of the Week, Mr. Mika Salo. All right, that wraps up this week's episode. We'll be back next week with the latest IndyCar news and notes as the offseason rolls along. For Justin Kinney, I'm Caleb Hatch. This has been New Track Record Podcast. Podcasts by Federated Media.